Good morning. How are y'all doing? Are you well? Good. My name is Dustin. I'm on staff here at South Point. If it's your first week with us, I want to give you a little bit of an idea of what it is that we're doing this year as a church. Currently, we're in a series called The Birth of a Church, and what we're doing for all of 2022, this entire year, is we're actually doing a deep dive, slow read through the biblical book of Acts. Uh, And if you didn't know, the book of Acts is actually an origin story for us as a church. And so in the book of Acts, we see the church begin, the church that we're still a part of today. And we're reading through this because we believe that as you read through the book of Acts, there are things that you can take away that can help you in your own pursuit of following Jesus, first as an individual, but also for us as a community. And so that's what we're doing uh, for all of this year. And if you haven't been with us, I can catch you up quickly on some of the stuff that you missed. And so what we've seen so far is we've seen Jesus commission his followers He's told his followers that they're going to end up going to the ends of the earth to spread the good news about who he is and what he's done. We've also seen God send himself in the form of the Holy Spirit and is now dwelling inside of his followers, which is actually still happening today. If you've said yes to Jesus, that Holy Spirit is inside of you. After God sent his Holy Spirit, we saw the Apostle Peter stand up and give the first gospel message ever to a group of thousands of people. And in response to hearing about who Jesus is and what he did, 3,000 people gave their life to him. After that, we saw this massive group that gave their life to Jesus. We saw them commit themselves to God, and we saw what that looked like in terms of a community, Uh, and that was a few weeks that we did that. And then last week, Jamie actually preached as the narrative begins to move forward, and we saw Peter and John, the apostles, as they're entering the temple, they encounter this man who hadn't been able to walk since birth, and we see this miraculous healing. And if you missed that message, definitely go back and read that. And then the passage that we're in this morning, the passage that we're in this morning follows immediately after that healing as the two apostles head into the temple. And what we're going to do with that passage this morning is, well, I'm actually going to leave that for you to read on your own. We're going to do something different this morning. And so that passage, you can write it down. That passage is Acts chapter 3, verse 11 through Acts chapter 4, Verse 4, that is on page 20 of an Acts journal. If you don't have one, take one with you. I'm actually going to leave that for you to read, uh, and I trust that you'll do that. This morning I'm going to deviate away from that, uh, from Acts a little bit, because today is something called Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday signifies the beginning of the week when Jesus would go to a cross and die to pay for the sins of humanity and then conquer death by raising back to life after three days. Palm Sunday kicks that week off and that day is today. And so I want to celebrate that by jumping back in the biblical narrative. And we're actually going to read about that Palm Sunday uh, with you guys from the book of Luke, the author of Acts, from his point of view. And so if you have a Bible with you, that's going to be Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 36, so you can take a second and get there. Um, And check this out, because this is how Uh, This is how this Palm Sunday passage is related to Acts chapter 3 through Acts chapter 4 that you're going to read. Because when you read that passage, what you're going to read is the Apostle Peter, he's going to walk into the temple and he's going to begin adamantly and unashamedly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean like absolute fearlessness from Peter as he proclaims who Jesus is and what he did. And and Peter does not care about the consequences. And as you read that, you're probably going to be impressed by Peter's boldness and how fiery he is and how amazing it is. And what you're going to forget as you read that is that actually just a couple months before this, Peter, out of fear, was denying that he even knew who Jesus was. He literally said, I don't know him about Jesus after spending three years with him. 
And, and now, just a couple months later, Peter is this firebrand who will do everything in his power to glorify God. And the difference for Peter uh, over the course of this couple months is uh, what happened is Peter actually, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he had a revelation about who Jesus actually was. And this happened for Peter. And, and what happened when Peter had this revelation by the power of the Holy Spirit about who Jesus actually is, is Peter went from a person who, who loved Jesus and he admired Jesus and he wanted to learn from Jesus. He went from someone who did those things and he, he turned into someone who completely and fully worshipped Jesus. And there's a difference. You know, there are probably people in this room who, who probably love Jesus and admire him and want to learn from him but have never actually fully committed themselves to worshiping him. And so I want to talk about worship this morning. And I know that Jamie preached on worship a couple weeks ago, but oh well, we're going to double down on it. Because the truth is, everything that we do as believers, Jesus followers, Christians, however it is you want to refer to yourself, everything we do begins and ends with worship. When the world looked at Peter, Peter didn't want the world to see him. Peter wanted the world to see Jesus. There's a word for that. That word is worship. And so... I believe that Acts chapter 3, verse 11 through Acts chapter 4, verse 4, that you're going to read on your own this week, I really believe that that paints a picture of the transformation that follows worship. But Luke's account of Palm Sunday, which we're going to read this morning, I believe that we're going to see worship exemplified. And so we're going to read that, but before we do, here's your disclaimer. So worship from the worship pastor on staff, and maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know anything about music or writing music, and and that's fine, because I want to clarify something that Jamie clarified a couple weeks ago, and that's that worship is not music. Worship is not exclusively tied to playing and singing songs. And so as we go into this, I need you to be aware that worship actually encompasses so much more than music. Really, what worship is at its core is worship is turning our attention, turning our affection, it's turning our thoughts, turning our imaginations, turning our creativity, and turning our energy towards him. Basically, what worship is, is taking everything that you have and offering it to God and saying, God, this is yours, it's not mine. Now, singing songs in church, that's, that's one of the ways we do that as believers, but, but you could just as much be worshiping God when you're just sitting in your car alone, not saying anything and thinking about him. You could also be worshiping God when you're brewing cold brew coffee for the first time ever on a Sunday morning in the cafe. Or maybe when you're walking through the woods admiring his creation, you could be worshiping him. Or if you're serving with children on Sundays and loving on them and, and telling them about Jesus, or maybe just going out of your way to show love and kindness to uh, someone who desperately needs it, that could be worship. But also, you could be singing or, or, or doing any of these other things and even more and not be worshiping at all. The truth is there are people who have spent years in church singing these songs who have never actually worshipped God. So the truth is, worship has less to do with whatever activity you're doing to worship, and it has so much more to do with where your heart and your intentions and your focus are. And so worship's not simply singing songs with a group of people during a Sunday service. Service is turning our attention, it's turning our affection, it's turning our thoughts, imaginations, creativity, and energy towards him, and can I tell you that there's some real deal transformative power when you do that. Like healing, restoration, reconciliation, you can be made whole of turning everything that you have and giving it to God. He is that good. And, and the truth is, when I worship, I actually expect this from him. Not because I deserve it, but because that's who he is. 
That's just who he is. And, and I think when you look around and, and the times that we're in, you look around at the world and you see so much hurt and heartbreak and conflict and pain and division. And I see so many believers who look hopeless. And I'm like, I don't think we should look hopeless. I think instead of feeling hopeless, I think you look at the world and that should drive us to turn our attention to Jesus even more. I think it should turn us to turn our affection towards him even more. You feel hopeless. Turn your heart towards him. You see, we, we want to see transformation. We look around at things and we want to see things change, but the problem is we can't create change. You see multiple groups of people right now fighting really hard to make things change, but look around at society and see that things are pretty much staying the same. We, we can't enact change, but the truth is transformation follows worship. And so if you want to see change, turn your attention towards the only one who can actually create change. And, and that's what you'll see in the life of Peter when you read through this passage, you're going to see that, that transformation follows worship. And so, interesting, you can go back and read Peter out of fear denying Jesus and read this passage in Acts, and you're like, this is two different people, but it's the same person just a couple of months, but he's made this decision to worship Jesus. And so, that passage is going to show you a, trans, a picture of a transformation that follows worship, and read that on your own, really read that on your own. And then Luke's account of Palm Sunday that we're going to read right now, I think we see worship exemplified. And so as we're reading, just so you know, this is Jesus entering Jerusalem with his disciples on the week that he would go to the cross. And if you want to see what worship looks like, read along closely with this. We're in Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 36. It says, and as he rode along, as Jesus rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now this is a crazy scene, and, and we aren't exactly sure how many people are in this crowd, but um, historians can, can tell us that there are likely upwards of at least 100,000 people in Jerusalem on the day that Jesus rode in. Now, how many of them are present at this scene and participating? It's hard to say, but you can rest assured that there is this massive mob of people, and, and you read that the disciples and, and all of these followers and even some of the crowd is joining in when they cry out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This is language that's beautiful and powerful, but, but what you really need to understand is that this crowd, these disciples, they didn't make up these words. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This isn't something they made up. They're actually quoting the Old Testament. These words... Blessed, specifically, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They are steeped in Jewish history. They actually come from Psalm 118. And this is something that's, uh, uh, it's part of something that's called the Jewish Hillel. And if you, you don't know what the Jewish Hillel is, the Jewish Hillel was a set of hymns that the Israelites would sing and recite during Jewish festivals. And they would do this to celebrate God delivering them out of Egypt. And they would also do it when they would bring sacrifices to be forgiven for their sins, they'd say these words, which is significant because what it signifies to us as readers is that this crowd is that they're taking words that they would use to acknowledge the God of their ancestors, 
and they're using them to cry out to Jesus. This is unprecedented. They're, they're taking Old Testament passages that declare God's goodness and his power and majesty, and they're connecting them to Jesus. Now, this crowd, what, what they know that they're doing, they, they know that they're declaring that Jesus is the Messiah that God promised in the Old Testament to deliver them. But by using these words, what they're really declaring, whether they're completely aware of it or not, but they're declaring that Jesus is the God who delivered them out of slavery and into the promised lands. With these words, they're actually crying out to Jesus, you're the God who saved us. Which illustrates to us where worship begins. Worship is acknowledging who God is. Now this crowd and and these disciples, they're not singing these words. This isn't a sing-along. They're screaming these words out. But ultimately what they're doing first is they're acknowledging who God is, and that's really where worship begins. You know, when I was Growing up, my mom didn't really play around when it came to our attitudes as kids. She wasn't having it. And I, uh, I remember a few specific moments when I tried to get particularly bold or I had something smart mouth to say to my mom. And, and my mom said this thing to me. She said it a lot because I had a lot of attitude. Um, but, and maybe your mom said this to you, but when I would get an attitude, my mom would say this thing. She'd say, you must have forgot who you were talking to. You must have forgot who you were talking to and... I'm telling you, when my mom came at me with that energy, I suddenly remembered who I was talking to. And and when it comes to God, especially when it comes to worshiping him, we need to remember who it is that we're talking to. There's a posture that we have to maintain, and whether you're singing, serving, talking, driving, reading your Bible, eating, painting, doesn't really matter what it is. Whatever it is that you're doing as worshipers, we need to maintain a posture, one that is, you're God and I'm not. You're the one who created the universe. You breathed all of this into existence. You have authority over heaven and earth and everything. And I am so amazed that you even know my name, let alone would die to have this relationship with me. You are the God of the universe. Like, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You have to start by declaring who God is. And that's where worship starts. And so if you're struggling to grasp worship or to begin worshiping or this concept is strange to you, I can tell you, you can begin by just declaring who God is. Declare it to yourself, declare it to other people. Whatever it takes, you start declaring who God is. And if you don't know who he is, you can open up the Bible and find out and then start declaring who he is. But you have to acknowledge who you're talking to. Worship begins by acknowledging who God is. Also, this Palm Sunday entrance into Jerusalem, this is One of the moments that's actually recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all talk about Jesus entering Jerusalem. But something interesting is Matthew, Mark, and John, the other three disciples, they actually record a word that Luke leaves out. This is interesting because it, it paints this picture for us that sometimes you need to look elsewhere in Scripture to get a complete picture. But Matthew, Mark, and John, they include this word that Luke leaves out, and I think it's a word that gives us even more insight into worship and that word, is, uh, that word is Hosanna. Hosanna. And, and if you've been in church for any sizable length of time, then you've likely heard this word, Hosanna. Especially around Easter time. And it's interesting because if you don't know what the word Hosanna means, when you read it in this context, it, it feels like you could almost substitute Hosanna out for hallelujah and it wouldn't really matter. Like, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, or hallelujah, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It feels like it doesn't really matter, but the truth is Hosanna isn't really a celebratory word 
at all. The word Hosanna actually means, please save us. Please save us. And I find it so interesting and compelling and also so revealing that you have this huge conglomeration of people, mostly Jewish, but that they're crying out, you're the God who saved us, while also crying out, please save us. You're the God who saved us, while also, please save us. Which I think brings us to the second big truth about worship, and that's that worship isn't conditional. Worship isn't conditional. Can I tell you something about worship? You will never worship God if your worship is contingent upon your current circumstances. You will never worship if your life has to be good in order for you to worship. And I've heard people say things like, well, I'll worship when I have something to worship about. But if I can be honest with you, there are going to be frequent moments in your life when things get hard, when things feel hopeless. And in those moments, you're going to need to worship him, not because of what you're expecting him to do or because of what you want him to do, but instead, you're going to have to turn your attention and your affection and your energy towards him because of what he's already done for you. Sometimes we need to take a step back and we need to look at God's body of work and we need to see the places that he's delivered us from and you'll understand that he's still delivering you now. You're going to need to take a posture of, God, you, you saved me. Like, you saved me when I was at my worst, when I had nothing to offer you, when I had my back turned to you, when everything felt hopeless. God, you saved me and because you saved me, I know that you're good and I know that you're trustworthy. I'm going to keep worshiping you because, God, I need you. Even if things don't feel good, God, I need you. There are going to be a lot of moments in your life when your posture is going to have to mimic this massive crowd by saying, you're the God who saved me. Oh, also, please save me. Did you know that you can celebrate and cry for help at the same time? You can actually praise God and worship God even when things don't feel good. Actually, that's the most important time too worship him. Sometimes you're going to have to look at God's body of work and you're going to have to say, even though my loved one is gone, even though I lost my marriage, even though I don't really know what's going on with my kids, even though I, I, my diagnosis seems bleak, I can look back at God's body of work and I can look at his track record and I can see that he is good and he's trustworthy and he's the same today, tomorrow, and forever. And I can look at him with faith and hope and love and declare that God, you're good and you're true. Even when your friends are saying, man, you've lost your mind because if God was really good, then you wouldn't have lost your job. If God was really good, the world wouldn't look the way that it looks. You can continue on in faith because you understand that God's goodness and his power, well, they don't depend on your current circumstances. And God's love and his promises are not conditional. And so guess what? Our worship can't be conditional either. And what's so interesting to me about this crowd and, and their worship of Jesus in this moment is that they're worshiping him and they actually have no idea what he's going to go do. They have no idea what he's up to. They think they know. Like they think he's there to overthrow the Roman government and, and enact this new regime and this new order. They think they've figured out what his plan is, but the truth is Jesus had a plan to save them in ways they couldn't even begin to understand because he was going to save them by dying for them which to them didn't feel like victory, but we understand now that that's the only victory that really matters because death was defeated and sin were defeated, and those are the two biggest enemies of your life, and Jesus took care of them on the cross. And that 
tells me that you can worship even when you have no idea what God is up to, which I have found to be pretty much all the time. What I've found in a couple decades of following God is like, I can no more predict how he's going to work today than I could the first day that I started following him. I try, but I can't. The only difference for me now is that after following God for a couple decades, I can look back on my life and I can see the way that he was orchestrating things and moving things and guiding me and nudging me and working things out. And I can see in the Bible when it says that his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my ways, that that's actually true. Because if I would have been leading myself, I have no idea where I would be, but thank God that he had a plan for me and he was guiding my steps. And so I can worship him even when things don't make sense. And I can worship him even when things don't feel good. I can say, you're the God who saved me while also, please save me. One more thing about verse 38, specifically at the end. It says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Glory in the highest. You know, I read that and I was like, that that sounds familiar. I feel like I've read that somewhere. Nowhere else you read this, these words, glory in the highest, you, you actually read them at Jesus' birth when a choir of thousands of angels are singing it. It says in Luke chapter 2, it says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. Glory in the highest. You know, I, I know that this crowd knew, I know that they're aware that they were quoting Psalm 118. I, I know that they're aware of that. They know scripture. But these words, glory in the highest, like, they're New Testament. Like, they, they haven't been recorded yet. They're really like 33 years old and, and certainly not available to this crowd. And isn't it so interesting that among, uh, or in a moment where they're in the presence of Jesus, that they begin proclaiming truths and saying words that angels were saying at the birth of Jesus without knowing it. They're actually proclaiming words of songs that they sang in heaven, which is so interesting, and I think it tells us that Worship is eternal. Worship is acknowledging God. Worship isn't conditional, and worship is eternal. Did you know that when you worship, when you turn your attention and your affection and your energy towards God, did you know that you're actually joining in with what's currently happening in heaven? Because you know what happens in heaven, right? Everything in heaven glorifies God. Everything. I don't know if you knew that. Everything in heaven worships God. And the Bible actually says that everything is transparent in heaven. Everything is clear like glass. I know it's kind of hard to imagine, but the Bible says everything is transparent. It speaks of streets paved from gold and like walls made from these precious stones and jewels, and yet everything in heaven is transparent. Why? Because everything in heaven is designed for God's glory and love to shine through it. Nothing wants to get in the way of his glory. You know, gold isn't valuable in heaven, and precious stones aren't valuable in heaven, and the things that we consider so valuable in heaven, well, or the things that we consider so valuable here on earth in heaven, they're actually pavement and and drywall, and they don't mean anything, and they're not worth anything, and they're actually transparent because their sole purpose is for God to shine through them. And, And when you worship, you're making yourself a part of this eternal symphony that's going on in heaven to glorify him. And I think if you can take a step back and you can get a sense of that, you get a sense of something bigger that's going on and you make yourself a part of that something bigger, think about who you're worshiping and who you're joining in worshiping. 
Man, I'm telling you, things will begin to change for you when you can take that step back. Now, your circumstances might not change, but in these moments of turning your attention, your affection, and your energy towards God, I mean, it can change your worldview. It can change your approach to life. It can change your values. It can change your desires. It'll change your heart. It'll change you. And there's nothing more powerful than that. I mean, do you think it's coincidental that in the Lord's Prayer it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Well, how is it in heaven? It's all about him. Glory to God in the highest on earth as it is in heaven. When you worship, heaven and earth are colliding. You're making yourself a part of something bigger that's going on. And I think that there's so much more power in that than any of us even realize worship is eternal. And then finally, in this Palm Sunday passage, we see this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees, and and they tell Jesus, they say to him, they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Basically, they're saying, Jesus, you need to tell your disciples to stop praising you like this. They're praising you as if you were God. And Jesus responds to them with, One of the most powerful things, at least to me, that he says in the Bible, especially as it pertains to worship, the Pharisees tell him to make his disciples stop worshiping him. And he says, what? He says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus says, if they weren't worshiping me, well, the rocks would cry out and start worshiping. Which brings us to our last point about worship, and that's worship is inevitable. Worship is inevitable. You see, Jesus isn't exaggerating here. (laughs) He's not being facetious. He's not making an illustration. He's being serious. He says, if the centerpiece of my creation, if like the masterpiece of my creation, the ones who bear my image, if they refuse to worship me, well, then the rest of creation is going to step up and physically, actively worship me in their place. Jesus says, if if mankind decided to use its free will to not worship me, well, I'm sorry for them, but I'm going to be worshipped anyway because the rest of creation will physically find its voice to declare who I am. Did you know that creation understands why it exists? On some level, it does. Like fish, at some level, like they understand why they swim. The trees They understand their purpose. Like mountains, they stand majestically, but only in such a way that glorifies God. Creation itself, if you didn't know, is currently passively glorifying God with everything that it does. And maybe you've had moments when you felt like you've heard their song and gotten a glimpse of God through them. Well, good, that's what they're there for. Passively pointing us towards God. But apparently, apparently they also have this fail-safe where if we stop worshiping him, if we stop worshiping God that somehow, whether consciously or unconsciously, or whether they like physically grow mouths, or what, I really don't know how it works, but if we won't do what we were created to do, they're going to step up and take our place. And, and what we were created to do is love and adore and glorify and cry out and give our attention and our affection and our energy and our lives to God. And that means to live lives that reflect him and so does your life reflect him that means to glorify him 
with your words, when you think about the words that you use, do your words glorify him? That means singing songs of praise and adoration to him. And so when we're here or you're at home or in your car or wherever, do you sing like it, like passively, like it doesn't matter? Are you actually giving yourself to him? Are you devoting your heart to him because it matters, right? The Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Will you have breath? Does your life glorify him? The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, like you belong to him. I belong to him. Everything belongs to him. Who told you that there was secular and sacred? They're not. Everything belongs to him. Even the ones who hate his guts belong to God still. The Bible says God sits in heaven and laughs at his enemies. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. God is all-powerful and almighty, and even if we will not worship him, the rest of creation would jump for an opportunity to worship in our place. Can you imagine being a rock? And you're a rock and you're stuck in one place. Maybe every once in a while a kid will pick you up and throw you. But like your existence is very dull. But you've been created by the creator of the universe and you know who he is. And all you want to do is worship him with everything you've got because you know who he is. And you know how amazing he is. But you have to passively do it until your time comes. I bet the rocks are rooting that we don't worship for him so they get a chance. I think we take for granted that we get to worship this God and I don't know how many of us actually do it while the rocks are waiting on the sidelines just like let, let me, like let me. Because that's what God requires and that's who he is. We don't worship a man-made idea here. We don't worship religious ideas and concepts and we're not here singing as our tradition, we're, we're glorifying a God who always has been and always will be, and even if you won't worship him, he'll be glorified anyway. So the question isn't, the question isn't, will God be glorified? The question is, will you be a part of the song? And, and I know that we're an easygoing and laid-back community here, and so you may get confused about what is actually going on here, but I just want to clarify it for you right now. God is real. God is real, and he created everything out of nothing, and he doesn't need anything from us. But he loves you so much that he came in the flesh to die on a cross so that you might be free from all of the junk and the failures and the past mistakes that are plaguing your existence. Like, you were born spiritually dead, but God said, now nah, I'm going to put on the shroud of death so that they can take it off. And while I'm at it, I'm going to take death, and I'm going to leave it dead and buried, and I'm going to walk out of the tomb in a victory that I'm going to call theirs so that they can experience a new life. And they don't have to be stuck in that junk anymore. That's the truth, and that, that's who God is, and his, his invitation stands. And then one day that invitation's going to go away, and, and everyone who said yes to him, well, they're going to be with him forever, and everyone who hasn't, well, they're not. But the invitation stands for now, and now is all we really truly have, and all you have to do is say yes it and he will transform you in ways that I can't even begin to articulate to you. I wish I could. And when a community stands together and says, we're going to do what we were created to do. We're not going to let anything else worship in our place, but instead we're going to commit all of our attention and our energy and our devotion. We're going to take everything that we have and we're going to give it to him. Well, I think that's when you begin to see the type of transformation that you're going to see and Peter in the book of Acts. And it's funny because we look at Peter as this like Christian role model. 
but I believe that Peter's not meant to be like the pinnacle of Christian boldness. Like, I don't think we're supposed to look at Peter like some fiery, devoted madman who loves God so much that he'll do anything to glorify him and none of us will ever measure up. Like, honestly, I don't think Peter represents the exception. I think Peter illustrates what is supposed to be the standard. I think we're all supposed to look like that. I think we're all supposed to reflect this unashamed and fearless desire to glorify Jesus. And I, I believe that. I believe that about you. And I believe that begins with worship. And I think you might say, man, it's impossible that I would ever be as bold as Peter. I, I can't even talk to my family about this. I, I don't know how to do this. That's not going to be me. You can't strive to do this. And what I'm saying to you is you don't strive to do this. But if you'll adopt a heart of true worship, if you'll take your rightful place to glorify God, if you'll lean into that, not only is it possible, I think it's inevitable. And so the question isn't, will God be glorified? The question is, Will you be a part of it? Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. God, I'm just sorry. I, I confess my own moments when I just, I just forget who you are and how amazing you are. I forget what you've done. You created everything. That, that, just the sheer size and magnitude of your power and who you are, God. I, I just ask for forgiveness when I forget that. And I'm so thankful that in all of your power and all of your majesty and your beauty, that you look down at me and I'm just a, a speck of dust, not even that. And you love me so much and you know me and you would die for me, God. And I, I just pray that your Holy Spirit washes over this room right now, God. And I just pray that we get a sense of who you are and what you've done for us. And I just pray that it pushes us to be a community of people that with every breath, with everything that we have, we just want to glorify you. We just want to, we just want to point people you. The world so desperately needs it right now, God, and you're the only one who can fix things. You're the only one who makes it right. I pray that we're a community that not only understands that, but, but strives to see that in our own communities, in our own families, in our own neighborhoods, our friend groups. We want to see your love and power and your sacrifice. We want to see that reach people. We want to see transformation. I pray that any person in this room who hasn't made that decision, God, I pray that they step into that this morning. I pray that we're a group, community, a group of people that's just fully devoted to you, God. I pray that your glory shines through us, that it's not about us, but it's all about who you are, Jesus, and what you've done. We just love you and thank you. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for loving us when we didn't deserve it. I pray your precious and holy name. Amen. What we're going to do now is we're actually going to go into a time of communion and and the thing that separates Jesus from any other person who said they were a Messiah, the thing that makes him God is what he did on the cross for us. That this creator of the universe, this one who has power over everything on heaven and on earth, that he, he, put, on, he put on the shroud of humanity and he, he went and died on the cross so that we could have this relationship with this God. And so when we take communion, we're remembering that sacrifice when he went to a cross and his body was broken and his blood was shed so that we could have this relationship with him, so that we could see this transformation in our lives, so we could be in that close community with him. And so as we take communion this morning, I pray that you just acknowledge that. I pray that you remind yourself that this is who God is, and this is what he's done for me, and this is what it means to follow him, and this is something that it shouldn't be possible, but it is by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And then after you pray, you can take the two cups with the bread and the juice, and you can take communion, and then we're going to 
worship one, with one more song together. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then you can take your seat. God, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you that the gift of salvation, that the gift of a new life is freely available to us. And all we have to do is say yes, God. I pray that the power of that washes over us. I pray that the truth of that is revealed to us right now by, now by the power of the Holy Spirit and that we're transformed by it, God. That we don't take this passively. We don't take this for granted, but we are in awe. We are amazed by what you've done in who you are. God, we love you. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name.